Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, so, Celine, Polar Vortex, how we doing? Uh, it has attacked us. It is. We got <laughs> it. Um, we got it yesterday. Uh, it. It, it was very strange because yesterday there was we got snow overnight, um, Tuesday into Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday I walked out and I was like, it's not bad out. You know, like it was actually kind of nice out and the snow was fluffy and walked the dog. And then somewhere around lunchtime, I was even thinking like, maybe I'll try to sneak in a ride. And I wouldn't have been able to put on my shoes by the time the whiteout happened. Like the wind kicked up so fast that... I mean, there were tons of accidents on the highways. It wasn't even funny. But um, you you suddenly just couldn't see a thing. And it got very cold very fast. So it was, you know, it's literally, I think it's five degrees here Ooh. right now. It's, yeah, it's, it's and it's, it, it's a, it's a cold five. It's not a warm five. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have not. I, I hit the CrossFit box this morning and I'll hit my rollers later. And it, it like it's supposed to be back up to fifty next week, so it's not like we're going to be stuck in this vortex for very long. Um, mm-hmm. Tomorrow is supposed to be just sort of normal winter again. But some people are getting hit real hard, as we all know. The Facebooks have turned up an awful lot of really alarming situations, and yes. not a few really cruel memes, <laughs> especially <laughs> well, being lighting. here in California. They're lighting the train tracks on fire. Where did I see that to keep them from cracking? Um, somewhere in the Midwest, they it was on NPR this morning. I was like, whoa. What, they like pour gasoline on them and just set the gas they, on they fire? They pour stuff on them and light them on fire. Yes. Okay. Because they've had it some crack. It gets so brittle. Yeah. Yeah. Holy that's cold. Cow. That's, that's next level cold. When you have to light your train tracks on fire to keep them from breaking. Yeah. It makes me wonder, like, you know, how does Canada get along ordinarily? Well, they must have planned for it, right? Like, I wondered that, too. But then I think that they must have constructed because they're cold like that more often. Yeah. I, mean, I could be totally wrong. I'm just pulling that out of the air. But. No, I. you got to figure, like, Saskatchewan, they have this all figured yes. out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, places that are And, and they're probably looking cold. at us going... <laughs> Siberia, you know, they, I, yeah, I'm sure that they have it figured out as, as well, but yeah, no, thanks. You've got <laughs> rain. I hear maybe you have some rain coming or do you have? Yeah. Yeah. It has, <laughs> it has rained, uh, in the last 12 or so hours. And I, uh, I know better than to complain. <laughs> uh, I've got a bike with good. some fenders and, uh, I'll go out for a little spin this afternoon whether or not the precipitation is actually coming out of the sky. I think the temperature's in the 50s right now. Um, yeah, I have nothing to complain about. 
cool. Nope. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Moving along. (laughs) Yes. Moving right along. uh, What do you got for your poll this week? I thought it would be fun um, because we have a handful, more than a handful, actually, of short questions that we've gotten from listeners. Um, Yeah. You know, that aren't like full things to to pontificate upon, but, but just kind of fun, almost like rapid fire sort of stuff. So I picked five that I thought would be kind of engaging because I I was very curious as well on your take on a couple of these things. So we'll, we'll just So we'll treat it. it like the bonus round. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to find that. <laughs> we're yes, going like to start with the bonus round. Okay. Right. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's like dessert first. All right. Um, <laughs> the first one, uh, one listener wants to know, elliptical chain rings, are they worth it? Do they make a big difference? Pros and cons. And I will, because um, I just wrote about this earlier this year, mm-hmm. uh, way in first. I tried them for the first time on my mountain bike. I got a wolf tooth uh, cog. I have a Wombi. And... The first ride on it was kind of damp, and our rocks, sometimes they're okay when they're damp, and sometimes they get a little slimy, depending mm-hmm. on the season. Mm-hmm. They were a little on the slimier side, and I was swearing many, I don't, well, I do swear. I was swearing a lot. Um, I the, the guy that I was riding with was just like, I'm going to turn around if you keep <laughs> I was just, I was so frustrated, because um, it they take a little bit to get used to the the power application uh, field. That you don't have as much dead spot, and you have just like this increased power application in your downstroke. So I was having a hard time timing and finessing through the same rocks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. be, that I've ridden a million times on on round chain rings, right? So I have I have it so down. And then even when it wasn't wet, I was still just like kind of banging into things and struggling. Um, but then after I gave, I gave them some time, I didn't tear, didn't tear it right off. But then I found like, I started to really like it. I started to be able to time and it it gives you so much torque that I was able to work it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like it, there was a benefit to that. And now I've had it for more than a year on that bike. And I feel like, I feel like sometimes it magnifies a day, no matter what kind of day you're having. So if I'm having kind of a tired day where I want a spin and I want maybe a dead spot, I don't have it, you know, Mm. and it it makes me it. I feel that like I feel like I have to work a little harder or I am working a little harder whether I want to or not. Um, But if I'm having a good day, I feel like it magnifies that, too, because I feel like I can just punch up anything. Um, I have not ever tried them on the road or cross. I know people who swear by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily, I, I, I don't love them enough to be like, I'm going to put them on every bike. And I don't dislike them enough to be like, oh, if they came on, I wouldn't take them off. I just mm-hmm. think it's like another way of pedaling. And I don't know. what Have, have you tried them? On the road, some. And uh-huh. I didn't care for it. Uh, because for me, yeah, it was one bike out of whatever three uh, that I was riding at the time, and it kind of drove me nuts. You know, there are studies that say, you know, you're not going to get the extra power that they're saying. You're not going to gain 10 Mm -hmm. or 15 watts. Uh, And then there have been some other studies that say, oh, no, you will actually gain something. Yeah. I I believe you probably do a little, depending (laughs) <laughs> How's that for a qualified answer? <laughs> That's fair. Um, I, it's one of those things that I think comes down to almost everything else in that if you try it and you like it, 
you're probably going to ride a little bit better with it. And if you try it mm-hmm. and you dislike it, then take it off. Did it ever go away for you? Because it's never gone away on the road. Like I have to pedal a little bit on the road to my trailhead and mm-hmm. it's never fully gone away. That feeling of it being a little funky. No, no, yeah. it never went away. And then there's the added fact that, oh, you know, if you're not riding one by and you have a front derailleur, getting the front derailleur to, sh- to shift well. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah, I, I don't think I would I would do it on a two by um, for that reason. Yeah, so I I didn't I didn't like it. It wasn't the end of the world. You know, there are people out there who swear by it. And, mm-hmm. you know, my answer to them is, okay, it works for you, go for it. You know, I would never want, yeah. to, you know, I don't want, you know, a, a, a pea green bicycle. Some people would kill for it. I, I love pea know. green. Anyway. Well, there you go. Yeah. And I, I would take it with oval chain rings or plain chain rings. But anyway, I think that I think your answer is the best. Like it, you, the only way to know is to try it. The only <laughs> the only real way. Not, we've given you our input, but I think it is a very individual thing. I will Absolutely. say this: if if they were magical, all bikes would have them. I always, yes. I always think right. Like yeah, so, if it was really that much better, right? Yeah, everybody would be rolling them because you can't find um, a bike today without integrated control levers. Yeah, I mean, there's things that yes, it's just sort of take like take over. Um, okay, next question is yeah. frame material. So this question is: assuming the bicycle frame is of somewhat good quality and the geometry matches the design's intent, you know, cyclocross touring, whatever. Does the material the frame is made of, steel, carbon fiber, aluminum, scandium, really matter that much? And I'm gonna say, oh my god, yes. Like, are you kidding me? Yes. Um, (laughs) My answer is yes. Um, I can, I think I could do a blind test of of like, you know, double blind, placebo, whatever controlled on a bike material and be able to tell you because I have always had a soft spot for aluminum despite, you know, it beating me up many, because I love the snappiness of it. Like Mm -hmm. aluminum just snaps and I love that feeling. Mm -hmm. Steel, I'm not a steel person. It's smooth. I get it. But it's just not, it just doesn't sing for me. You know, um, I found that titanium can either be like musical and very lively or it can be a little dull. So I don't know. Maybe you have been more experienced with that. Same with um, carbon fiber. Like Mm it. uh, So, yeah, I mean, the the short ish answer is it does make a huge difference. And I will let you I will volley that, too, because you probably have more technical experience than I. So, you know, yeah, the short answer is different frame materials. You know, they have different rides. And so the different material does matter. What I would say matters even more is how that material is distributed through the frame. Specifically Mm. in steel, titanium, and aluminum frames, if the tubing is butted so that it's thinner in the middle than it is at the ends, that's going to improve the bike's ride quality. To the degree that you're on a bike with straight gauge tubing, uh, which is frequently what an awful lot of aluminum bikes are, they're going to vibrate more. They're going to feel mm. noisier as you ride them. But it is possible to to ride uh, an aluminum bike with butted tubing that you might not immediately notice that it's not steel. And mm. yeah, I've ridden 
I've ridden steel and titanium bikes where were I blindfolded and, you know, I don't know, surrounded by uh, foam pits or something. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure I would always have been able to distinguish uh, whether or not it was steel or titanium. And there was one occasion where I rode an aluminum bike with butted tubing, just exceptionally well done. I mm -hmm. believe it was a scandium blend. I don't know that I wouldn't have been able to guess that it wasn't steel or titanium. It was a hmm. most impressive bike. All of this is equally true with carbon fiber. Mm -hmm. There are a whole bunch of bikes out there made from carbon fiber that might as well be broomsticks, man. Totally. They're, they're just yucky rides. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you get a chance to see one of those frames cut open, what you're going to see is that there's not a lot of budding, that the tube is pretty much the same diameter in the middle as, as it is at either end. And then also, you know, you're getting a lot of extra material because they're not that confident right. of what their process is. So they have to overbuild it to make sure that all of the bikes will pass the testing. So, huh. yeah, it matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Um, and the, the only real answer at the, you know, kind of bottom line is go ride different stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it, being able to try stuff, even just like a little bit, you can you can get a sense of how the material, how the material handles. Um, next question. This is a great one. Uh, cycling races and large organized events like DK200, Sportoofs, etc. often have a wide range of different categories for participants. They're almost always broken out by gender, age group, type of gearing, such as fixed, single, you know, single speed, etc., fat bike. Do you think there should also be a category for Clydesdales, which there often is? Um, this is rarely, if ever, seen in cycling races and events more prominent in triathlon races and events. I might argue that's not true, but maybe it, maybe it isn't anymore. I haven't looked at all the categories. I just look at my category, right? And I don't scan all of them. <laughs> but I know, I know they used to be routinely, like you used to see Clydesdales routinely, at least in mountain bike races. Especially I don't know. mountain biking, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So road racing, I can't speak to it. They probably didn't, right? I never saw Clydesdale in road racing. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they almost always have in mountain Um and probably, yeah, in cross, they don't either, I guess. I've so. never seen it there. But mountain biking in the late 80s and on into the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, Clydesdale, that was a thing. That was a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember having friends who were like, why would I bother to lose weight? I'm a Clydesdale. <laughs> At least I've got oh, yeah. guys I'm competitive against. Well, yeah. And then they, then it then it became as all these things become problematic because you would have and, and I'm just speaking like I had a friend he's like I'm an actual fat guy and I should not be up against that low body fat 200 pound guy who's all and I'm just like dude they're not gonna have a DEXA scan out here to like figure out if your bones are heavy or what your 200 <laughs> is 200 I'm sorry like if, if this makes you unhappy they even had scales at some races. Um, that I did where they wow. made guys weigh in because they didn't wow. want anyone like sandbagging the Clydesdale category. And they tried, and they might still do this in Xterra. I'm not, I'm not sure because it's been a long time since I've done them. But I know they tried in some mountain bike races to, um, to put in the Athena category 
uh, which was the way of saying nice for large women because they're not going to call women Clydesdales. Um, but it it wasn't popular, especially that. I mean, body positivity has come a long way, and back especially the late 90s and early, nobody was going to like step on a scale and be like, I'm 165 pound, you know, which isn't even that hey, heavy. Everybody like, look. I think, right. <laughs> Very few women want to step on a scale to prove how heavy they are. So um, I would, so that, that didn't go very far. But uh, mm. yeah, you know, I don't know. As far as if other races should, uh, I don't know. I mean, I get, I get it, but uh, so many categories. I don't know. What do you think? I think that gravel racing is ripe for a Clydesdale category. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's You are correct, sir. I think it's absolutely ripe for it. And I think it's a great thing. I really do. I All right. I think anything that allows a person to feel like they're actually competing and yeah, not cool. just pack fodder. Yep. is a really, you know, especially if it's a competitive event and not just some ride, mm-hmm. I think, you know, slicing things up so that people have a chance to really feel like they're competing for something is, you know, I mean, that's good customer service. I am sold. Jim Cummins, if you're listening, Clydesdale category for DK200, because that would be a freaking competitive category. Oh, um, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I would love to see that. I mean, I'm, there's never going to be enough of me to be in that category, but I think it's really cool. I've had friends who, you know, they, they could have dieted from now until June and they would still be, you know, at best 205 pounds. They're just a whole lot of guy. And, you know, lean, uh, they'd still, yeah, they'd still be there. And, uh, I think it would just make the racing that much more interesting for them if they knew that they were uh, in the same sort of handicap. <laughs> and I, yeah, no, that's kind of cool. That's a careful I, word to use. Yeah, no, that's a it, you're, you are, you have a you bring up a very good point that that would make the racing um, at a lot of these events. It would it would add a very competitive category. Yeah, and, yeah, that's and you know, it, who knows? It might it might create an atmosphere where more people would come out. Yeah. Fair. Cool. Yes. Thanks for the question. It, it made, it uh, made, it gave me a different uh, thought process there. I like that. Sweet. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to probably just toss this one right over to you because I'm terrible with it. Chain lube. Um, <laughs> I think we are approaching as many varieties as there are toothpaste and shampoos. I think you are right, sir. Um, oh, no, we, we beat both those at this point. <laughs> <laughs> recommendations on some of the better chain lubes. Does dry versus waxed versus wet really matter? The reason to ask is if you have one cross gravel bike and are living and training in Portland or whatever, and you go off to race you know, in the desert... Do you need to use a different lube is what he's saying. Do you need all these different lubes in your life for all these? And I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no because, I, because I'm because i terrible, and I have lived with one lube that was probably the wrong lube half the time, and nothing, no, I didn't die, nothing happened, my chain was fine, if, if just dirty. Um, but certainly having the most appropriate lube for the conditions does make a, a marked improvement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say, based on my experience in New England, 
that given that there is some similarity between Pennsylvania and New England, that it's harder to come up with the wrong lube. You know, if you've chosen a lube that's good at one point in the year, Mm -hmm. that lube is probably going to be pretty good year round. Whereas here in California, I have to use a wet lube in the winter and I absolutely have to use a dry lube in the summer. I cannot use the same lube year round. Tell the reader, reader, listener why. (laughs) Well, so the big thing is the dry lubes won't pick up dust during the summer. And we get to a certain point. It's happened as early as June, but usually it's more like July, August, when things really start to get dusty out on the trails and the gravel Mm -hmm. roads. And if you've used a a wet lube, that's like a magnet for dust. It's just going to pick stuff up and your chain is going to be noisy before the ride's out. I have done rides. I No lie. I have done mountain bike rides of five hours where I I had lubed the chain before departure. And it was noisy before the end. Oh, I believe you. I, I totally believe you. I mean, I've raced races that, like that where it's so, so dusty that they have, t- like, they're, they're lubing your chain at the aid stations, thank for those yep. angels that do that, because it's amazing yep. how they dry out that quickly. The, the two-day Mendo Hopper, I lubed my chain before the first stage. I needed my chain lubed the morning of the second stage. And when I got to the aid station, uh, I don't know, halfway through the stage, uh, I had to have it looped again. Yeah. That's so, yeah. yeah. If you're living in Oregon and going to DK, please, please, please take a dry lube. To, well, depending on the year, but it, t- it tends to be, <laughs> <Take them both. laughs> yeah, look at the weather, bring both. Um, it, it does, it can be very, very powdery and very dry. And that's a long, 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 long yeah. way to uh, have your chain making yeah. a lot and being unhappy with you. I will make one comment to the question of brand and oh, sure. I can't, I can't speak to whether someone is really making a truly better lube than anybody else, but finish line is an advertiser with RKP. And the reason that is, is that over the last five years, I've built a relationship with the folks there. And the reason I've built a relationship with them is they have a wide variety of products for different situations and different needs. And for me, the biggest thing of all is they do a terrific job of communicating why you need this or why you need that. That's um, very helpful. And helping consumers understand, you know, the purpose and situation behind something. They do a much better job of communication than any of the other lubes out there. They are also the people behind White Lightning. So that kind of goes, goes ditto for them. And I love... I love the stuff from both Finish Line and White Lightning. When it comes to cleaning a bike, <laughs> I, I know exactly which Finish Line product I knew I need for which job. So it's really simple and straightforward. And I know while we're talking brands, because this came to my mind while I was talking, Tom Kellogg, I know is a listener of Spectrum Cyclists, and he <laughs> has been trying to get me to use Nick's Friction. Uh-huh. Um, that he is a huge, huge, I mean, he's, cause he looks at my chain every time we ride, he's like, Celine, we've got to get you on next friction. So, um, maybe I'll try that and I'll report back since this is a, definitely have some devotees to that product. Yes. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. Last question is body composition scales. Uh, when we had that conversation about weight and body comp, somebody's like, so what do you use? You know, because all these things are so there is user error. There is product error. They're not they're not they're not perfect by any stretch. So the talking about like the Tinitas and the scales that you can buy at home. Yep. Um, but they're they're not bad. You should be well hydrated that that being undehydrated can definitely throw off your numbers. But I've had pretty much everything. I've had a DEXA scan. I've been in the bod pod. I've had the whole weight. You know, I mean, I've been to the Olympic training center where they do they use all the state of the art stuff. And I can tell you that the home scales are they're fairly close. I mean, they're not exact, but they they give you a pretty good indication of where you're at. I don't know if what you use if it's just a it's probably just a foot scale, right? Yeah, I've got the Nokia. And the neat thing about that is that it doesn't just give you weight and its approximation of your body fat, you know, through electrical impedance. It also gives you what it believes your hydration level to be, what proportion right. Some of, of them your do current that. body weight. Yeah. And so that helps you to calibrate in your head what it's reading as your current body fat percentage in relation to your hydration. So if your body fat number has just gone up by a full percent, you know, watch what the hydration level is and you're probably Mm going to see that it's off by 2%. So it's, uh, I like that one a whole lot. Uh, I had the withings for a while and could not get that to talk to my Wi-Fi to save it. It was an Hmm. awful product. And Having the Nokia, um, it's it's been really foolproof. There's an app that allows me to track data. Um, I don't check into the app all that often. I try to weigh myself three, four times a week, and I try also not to flip out. But I want to see. I'm looking for trends. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. All right. That was uh, that was fun. So, uh, cool. what do you have? I will pull uh, off. Another reader question. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, this one is about what events, races, and ventures we'd do if we could be anywhere in the world right now. Mm. And for me, as far as events go, if I'm going to drive a long way or get on a plane and fly someplace, it's either with a gravel bike or a mountain bike. And it's more likely to be a gravel bike. Um I've done so much road touring in the places that I've wanted to see that now I'm looking for stuff that's different and different is pretty broadly defined for me right now. But I mean, I've been to the Alps, I've been to Tuscany, I've been to the Pyrenees, you know, I've seen those, those, you know, mythical places, uh, from bike racing, but now so many of my interests are much closer to home, uh, domestically. I will probably finally do Dirty Kansas this summer. Mm. I'd like to do Land Run. I'd like to do Gravel Worlds. There are some folks working on gravel events in Arkansas and Tennessee that would be pretty interesting if they come together. I wouldn't mind doing some more exploring of dirt roads in western Massachusetts and Vermont. Um, I would really love to do fellow UMass alumnus Peter Voller's Vermont Overland. Mm -hmm. And seriously... OMG, there are a bunch of events in PA, like, <coughs> cough, cough, <laughs> uh, unpaved. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then Hell of Hontraden and Fool's Challenge, the latter two, which, latter two of which are put on by a former teammate of mine, um, Brian. 
And uh, as I understand it, haven't had a chance to find out yet, but reputed, uh, they they run like Swiss trains, I'm told. He does and a really good job. He's got a pretty strong sense of conscience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a false classic, just by the way, for anyone listening. The Oh, it's Oops. okay. Yep. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> That's what I get. Yeah, he's got four, he's got he's got four of them, um, and they all I I would highly recommend any of them. Yeah. Yeah. And this summer I may may do Rebecca's Private Idaho. Cool. That's that's one Done that's it twice. It's uh it's pretty seriously on my radar. It's a very fun weekend. Yeah. You know what's neat though is that gravel is not just a yank thing. It has mm-hmm. taken off in Europe as well. So there's the Pyrenexus 360 Challenge in northern Spain, Catalonia. Uh, the Gravel Rock in Fréjus, France. That's southern France. Um, there's the Gravel Fondo in the Black Forest of Germany. Ooh. That sounds awesome. Yes, and it does. There's another one in France called La Résistance, which is in Talois. That's deep in the Alps. Uh, just the photos from that thing alone, wow. it's it looks seriously epic. It looks like an alpine tour stage on gravel roads. Wow. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Closer home, honestly, what I really want is a week in Jackson State Forest up in Mendocino County. Me, <laughs> a few friends, a lot of beer, and Jackson State Forest. <laughs> that's like a dream trip for me right now and it's two hours from me cool yeah cool so one thing i'll mention is for those looking to learn more about gravel events around the u.s uh as well as elsewhere in the world i i get that this uh this recommendation is going to evolve a little um in the next oh no or two. no it will <laughs> not because his book is very different i know you're going to say nick legan's right yeah 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 gravel yeah. cycling by my buddy nick legan uh, yeah. Velo Press published it um, a year and a half, two years ago almost now. Um, but it's a really, really fine event. And many of the events that I've mentioned are featured in his book. So you can certainly learn more about them there. That's the but, cool thing about his book, um, if I can interject. Because I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm doing a, a gravel project myself. But his, uh, his book is very event focused almost. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting how he did that. Like, so... You, he talks to people who have either done it or run it, and you get sort of insidery look at what you would really need to do those events. And yeah, it's it's super well done that way. So yeah, yeah, it was a really neat perspective. Uh, yeah, and it's nice that the events that are happening in the gravel world seem to be stable enough that, that book is still going to be valuable five years from now. Yes, I was thinking the same thing, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so let me pose a question. Say there was such a thing as a gift card for Travelocity, and say somebody handed you a gift card for Travelocity, oh two thousand dollars on it. Where would you go? Mm, I'd have to pick and choose then. Um, I, I can. Well, I would go over the budget for sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> okay, it's five k. <5K. laughs> yeah, the the, the 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 stuff that's on as every as everybody who has been listening knows Tibet is heavily on my mind. Um, you know, Cirque runs those trips through the Tibetan Plateau and to the base of Everest and around that area. They have a gravel trip, too, in that mm-hmm. part of the world. Yeah. Um, either of those, honestly, I would be – it's very, very, very high on my list. Um, 
Uh, there's everyone I know goes to this Iceland challenge now, and the name is escaping me. There's a multi-day. I, it can't be mountain bike because Allison Tetrick is going, so it's got to be probably a gravel. Well, she's not. I mean, she's not gonna. You know, she's she, all drop bar all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's going over there, and I and I hear it's just amazing. And I've never been to Iceland, and that's like any part of the world that just looks like something completely different from anything you can see is very attractive mm-hmm. to me. Um, so those two would really be high up on my list. Um, you know, God, domestically, like you were saying, there's just so much. There's so, so, so much that's popping up all the time. It's hard to even... I've not ever done Gravel Worlds, and I've not been to Nebraska. So that that's kind of high up on my on my list, too. Um, I haven't done a grasshopper. That's up there. And I'm like you. I'm just sort of keeping my eyes open for these other... All these other like little events because these grassroots events are awesome. They're really you just get to see stuff that you just don't get to see, um, and yeah, I'm huge. I, you know, I, I think if for people who like, um, you know, I know not everybody's into the gravel thing yet, and I totally respect that. But there are there are events you can do that are minimal gravel but still get out there. Like you know, Jeremiah does his Alpine Grand Fondo, and you can sort of pick and choose where. You know, you can stay more on the pavement or go on the dirt, and I, I think uh, I think that probably appeals to a lot of people. But like you, I've I've been I've been gravitating more towards the roads not taken quite as much. Although yeah. Tibet, I'll, I'll do that. That pavement, that road, I'm you know that's all pavement, and I I'm, I will I will happily I would happily take that Travelocity gift card and dump it all right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You really have been captured by that, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I very much have. So <laughs> very cool. Okay. What do you say? Paceline picks? Sure. I have a I have a real simple one this this time around. Uh I don't think much about bar tape, quite frankly, okay. except I'm like mostly when this will not surprise anyone, like I I like color, you know, so I'm dictated more by the color of it. And this kind of goes along with that. I fell into this uh it's BTP. Bar tape. I don't know if you know anything about them, Haven't but heard they have them. they have a, a wide array of bar tapes. And I fell into one. I put it on my open upper, which is like all murdered out, which is cool. But I still like color. Um, and it, they've got they've got woven woven bar tape, so it makes patterns mm. and stuff. Like it's got tribal patterns, um, and it's texturized. So I've got this like really cool. It looks like a woven rug almost bar tape that is on all uh i can send a picture so people can see it but uh yeah that's my pick i just was just like wow it just makes me happy it's just like these simple things but like every time i ride that bike i'm just like oh i just love this bar tape and i just like and you see it unlike other things on your bike that you don't see mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you, you really do see your bar tape a lot so <laughs> i've noticed that yes <laughs> yeah if it makes you happy so like it's something that I usually don't even register because it's fine, you know, or it's mm-hmm. dirty right away because I I destroy everything. But this um, this this is because it's textured, it doesn't show dirt quite as much, and it just that's it. It's BTB, um, BTP. I'm sorry, I don't even know what that stands for. I, I, it probably stands for something, but I would uh, maybe bar you know, tape. Maybe, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, I highly recommend it. That's my pick. Okay, that's simple. cool. So my pick this week is a novel new snack called Split. 
It's a dual envelope snack that contains nut butter in one side and a fruit spread in the other. The two packets are connected, but sealed separately and then perforated where they're joined so that you can completely pull them apart. The way the openings are situated, you can fold the envelopes in half, tear it open, and then just eat them as you would a gel pack. They are also easy to squirt onto a bagel or bread. My kids love these things. I like them as well. Um, They're all natural, GMO-free, gluten-free for folks with celiacs, and have five grams of protein per serving. They come in at about 170 calories per serving, which is all of both packs together. I've tried the almond butter with strawberry spread and the peanut butter with grape spread. So yes, they offer options for those who are allergic to peanuts. I can also say that the nut butters flow a good deal better than Justin's nut butters do for people who Mm -hmm. have experience with that. You're Mm -hmm. not going to spend the better part of a week trying to squeeze it out. Uh, Distribution is growing, but they can still be hard to find. You can learn more at splitnutrition.com, and there will be a link in our show notes. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode of The Pace Line. What do you have going this weekend? Uh, what do we have going this weekend? Not a whole lot. It's supposed to get a little warmer, so we'll go down and I'll do a... I've been doing long rides on Saturdays, because it seems to be like that's the day that works best. Everybody sort of sleeps in. I get out of the house before my daughter or anyone's really... By the time I get back at like noon, everyone's just kind of starting their day almost, you know, she's, so, uh, yeah, so I could be out for almost five hours before I'm, I'm, I'm terribly missed. So probably do a long ride. I've got, uh, tickets to go see G love. I don't know if you know who G love is, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah. I love G love. Um, I've seen him a few that times. Does not surprise me. Yeah. So he's down in Philly and, uh, play hang out with some Philly friends, go see G love, just have a, so, oh, and it's the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. And it's, right, right. It is. Well, we somebody will have a party. Someone in town will have a party, you know, and we'll just all go and watch that, too. And um, I'll just keep it to myself that I hope the Patriots lose, but <clears throat> that's just... <laughs> sorry. Is that out loud? Sorry, Patriots fan. Anyway. <laughs> I don't love the Let Rams. the hate mail <laughs> commence. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yes, cool. yes, Tom Brady. I know he's magical and sleeps in magical pajamas and drinks 25 cups of water a day and only eats meat sometimes, even though he's a vegan. And uh, what else? He doesn't eat eggplants or tomatoes. I could go on. I love Tom Brady. Sorry. Uh, I'm I, done. Was I, that I'm... all out loud? <laughs> You have no idea. You have no idea even what I'm talking about. You're like, well, I'm just amazed that you know so much about a person that you don't seem to actually be that big a fan of. Well, I'm. I you know you just push the button, so I'm just gonna say it. So <laughs> this very seriously, my my what 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 irks me about Brady is the same thing that irks me in our own sport, like Team Sky, right? Like. So Tom Brady is 41 years old. He he is amazing. I'm not taking the guy is amazing. He is an amazing quarterback. I will. I'm not taking that away from him. But don't tell me that the reason that he's got his longevity and he is so amazing and is that because he doesn't eat tomatoes and eggplants and sleeps in special PJs. I don't buy it. 
And I don't buy that the sky was so great because someone else took their trash out for them. So they didn't have to like waste any energy. And I like all these, like it's all marginal gains and that's marginal BS. And I, I just, <laughs> come on, like, please. Like, but anyway, so yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I won't even bother watching the Super Bowl traditionally, uh, knowing that so many people are in front of a TV on, on Sunday. I go out for a long ride because the roads. Well, it's earlier there. there. It's <laughs> for sure. I mean, it'll be dark here. I would too if I lived in California. Because you guys, I forget. Like everything starts three hours. It's in the middle of the day. But, yeah. You know, by six thirty here, mm, you know, it's yeah. dark. I had friends who used to always go skiing. Because the ski slopes were empty, you know. Wow, it's like yeah, Super Bowl Sunday. Let's let's hit the slopes. Oh, um, I went to Penn State, and any football. I mean, if you wanted to get stuff done and didn't care about the game, that was the time to do it. Because <laughs> every you know, do your laundry, do everything. You could have seven laundry machines going because nobody's there. So, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Excellent. Yourself. Uh, I, you know, I, I did a grasshopper last weekend oh, and, yeah, uh, it was awesome. Uh, low gap. So this is a brand new one. It was in Mendocino started mm. and finished in Ukiah. Uh, we had like a two, two and a half mile ride to the start neutral roll to the actual start, which was on the outskirts of town. Um, and then proceeded to climb for 53 minutes. I mean, in my case, in other people, they were probably done in 41 minutes or something. Uh, but I proceeded to climb for 53 minutes, 100 meters after the start. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was a 40-mile loop, it, uh, and we did 6,000 feet of climbing, so 150 feet per mile. And the whole second half of the event was on dirt, and it was awesome. But, I mean, I crushed myself. A 34-30 low gear was not low enough. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> with one exception everybody who passed me on the dirt climb after the rest stop i passed them back on the descent it's always rewarding that was fun that was fun um yeah but if i'm smart i'm gonna take it easy this weekend and just do some longer miles i think my legs are still recovering a little bit yeah for sure for sure cool yeah uh okay well hey we've been loving the requests for segments on the show you all have been sending some really neat stuff. So if you've got an idea and we haven't heard from you, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. And I don't mean to say <laughs> we want to hear from you only if we haven't heard from you. If we've heard from you before, feel free to fire away again. If we've dealt with your question, we obviously like the questions you ask. <laughs> before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one -on -one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. This week's show is part two of my interview with photographer, writer, and filmmaker Brian Werner. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.